So I don't know if you've noticed, but we're uh, we're working through a series at the moment on what we would perceive Jesus' gospel to be. Because Jesus didn't grow up with Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. He had to read his own texts uh, to come up with what he perceived God wanted to do in the world, what was the good news that God would offer. And so uh, we're working through a series that looks through the book of Isaiah as God's uh, gospel through Jesus uh, to us today. Let me start off telling you a story. My, my wife, she loves overseas holidays. Uh, on our way home from our last overseas trip just before COVID, we managed to sneak a few days in at Japan at relatively little extra cost uh, with the way that the flights worked out, which was fantastic. While we were there, we went to the world's busiest intersection, Shibaya Crossing. This one here, has anybody been to Shibaya before? Well, of course you have, yes. My wife has, yes. There you go. Thank you, darling. Nobody else? Amazing place, amazing place. Um, In chatting with Miriam, we decided that we would split up so that we could go look, I could go look for a local music shop and she would wander about with the kids. And being Japan, we all had free Wi-Fi, which was great. And we we had our phones with us, armed with our telephones and our GPS. We said that we'd meet back at the entrance to a subway at this famous intersection. I reckon it's probably, what do you reckon, was it this one or this one? One of those two little buildings there. Anyway, um, it didn't take long for me to realise that on the way back, due to the high-rise nature of all the buildings and all the small block sizes, the paths are really narrow inside these really tiny blocks, right? Um, It didn't take me long to realise that my GPS signal was a little bit buggy, and perhaps I didn't actually know which way I was going. I wasn't actually going to find my way back to Miriam and the girls as easily as I first thought. Now, in that moment, was I lost? No, I just needed to get out, you know, some better bearings, find a larger street or a main thoroughfare, and I'd be able to sort myself out, right? Okay, I was lost. Okay, I was lost. I walked two blocks in the wrong direction until I realised, and then the GPS gave me just enough of a hint that I was able to turn myself around and, uh, and head back to this crossing. In my thoughts, I wondered about how Miriam was getting on. Uh, and she said to me when I got back to the meeting point, gee, I'm glad Lorena was with us, my oldest daughter, otherwise she would have gotten uh, in a bit of trouble as well. So this week in our series on the gospel as Jesus saw it, we're wanting to have a look at our centre hexagon, which is our deliverance and salvation. How is it that Jesus perceived the lostness of those around him? What framework did Jesus use to understand his role in the salvation of Israel? Through what lens did he see his own people making mistakes? And what made him get to the point of saying to people, hey, repent and believe, change your mind, metanoia, change your thinking about how living with the knowledge of God in your life should be. Okay, and so to take us there, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 28, which we read out earlier. It is a huge chunk of scripture. Yeah, it was good. It was good to get it all read. I'm really glad that we did that um, earlier in the service. To give us a bit more context about this Isaiah 28, the commentators say, This part of the book of Isaiah should be read in a section from 28 through to 35. It takes us through a part of Israel's history where the glorious days of King David are over. The 12 tribes of Israel have split into northern and southern kingdoms. The bulk of the tribes, about 10 of them, they follow a military leader rather than a godly one. uh, Named The military leader was named Jehu. They put him as king. They built their own kingdom and their temples in the north. And the southern kingdom, meanwhile, it holds its own position Uh, It remains worshipping at the temple that David and his son Solomon built, uh, and it continues to be the future line that Jesus would come through. The northern kingdom is about to be wiped out by Assyrians, uh, which is a military 
uh, based society all up and around them to the north. And they end up falling, the northern kingdom falls to the Assyrian captivity in around 700 BC, 720. And the southern kingdom, although it's marginally better, unfortunately that also falls around 200 years later to Babylonians, which are just under Assyria, but managed to take over Assyrians and they have a priestly um, hierarchy. Anyway, these chapters from 28 to 35, they all start with woe, 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 woe to, woe to. And Isaiah, though he starts off really poetically, as you see in our chapter, as you get further through these woes, the more practical they become, the more names and places are specifically mentioned from that time. And each of these woes is given to a specific people. Isaiah speaks into how those um, who would change their ways and they would put their trust in God, they were going to be saved. He'd use glorious poetry and prophetic prose. And while giving, uh, while he does that, to those that would follow, he gives a lashing, a verbal lashing to any that are blind to God's overarching plans. So, um, you know, can you see it? You can't see it. Stop it. Stop. You get it, right? Isaiah's just can't see it. Why aren't you seeing this, people? Okay, so today we're going to work through this starting chapter, just this section, 28, just chapter 28. And I hope to come back and to, can you just continue to speak into this hexagon of deliverance or salvation uh, as we get further into our series. But I think there's a stack here in 28 that I really want us to sink our teeth into today. Um, And when we look at 28, we see this heading, woe to the leaders of Ephraim and Judah. Um, But for me, I'd like to call this chapter, two ways to do life. And then at the end of the chapter, we have a parable that helps us understand our role in God's purpose. And so as we approach this chapter, it's worth noting that it falls easily into three sections. Okay. It falls into this space where they say, woe to the northern kingdom. So for those that aren't familiar, Ephraim was one of the 12 tribes. And so as they're calling out, woe to Ephraim, they're actually saying, you northern kingdom, you just, you missed it. Okay. And then you've got to watch out in the second section for the southern kingdom, Judah, the line of David, where it says uh, to the southern kingdom, watch out, you, you've also missed it. Um, and then the final section is the wisdom in the process, which is that farming parable. Uh, that was read earlier. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles open, we are going to just run, we're not going to run through it, but we're going to go through, I'm going to pick out little bits and pieces that are just going to help us get, get along this idea of what is it to be lost and what is it to be found. Okay, so let's look at this first section, uh, verses 1 and 4. Woe to that reef, the pride of Ephraim's drunken, drunkards, to the fading flower, his glorious beauty. Um, and verse 4, that fading, that fading flower, his glorious beauty, set on the head of a fertile valley, will be like figs ripe before harvest. You know, the northern kingdom here is referred to by one of the worst traits of its tribes. You know, it could have been any vice. It's it's called our drunkenness here. But it could have been any vice. It could have been, you know, scrolling too long through Facebook. It could have been, um, I sleep too long, I'm lazy. Whatever it is. But here they pick out the worst of Ephraim's uh, troubles. Um, You know, these, these things that we do, they're a way of, um, dealing with our lostness, yeah? So I, I haven't got it. I'm going to go get drunk. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. All right. So the northern kingdom here is referred to by one of the worst traits, and they have a warning of catastrophic proportions given to them, a reminder of the past acts of God in the flood uh, in verse 3. And then after this, we get a poetic play on words as to the speed in which the downfall of the kingdom is coming. Um, I don't know uh, if you like figs, but there's a, there's a thing about figs. I don't like figs. I like cherry tomatoes. 
And, um, you know, it's like how fast, how fast is the kingdom going to... Oh, there it goes. That's how fast the kingdom is going to have its downfall. <laughs> Does anybody else want a tomato? I, I know the tomatoes are meant to be being thrown this way, right? But you want another? <laughs> one over there? One for you? Anybody else want to destroy a kingdom in a second? Sorry, Josh. Oh, actually, I got it there. Look at that. Well done. Anyway, you get the idea, right? Who likes this scene in Lord of the Rings where Denethor sticks the cherry tomato in his mouth? Nearly ruined cherry tomatoes for me. It was horrendous. Anyway, more cherry tomatoes at the end, maybe, if I don't get through them during the service. Who knows? Okay, so this is how quickly the kingdom will be gone. You don't know the trouble that you're in, northern kingdom. You've lost your way. You don't know the trouble. This is how quickly you'll be gone. Okay, those that do manage to survive, verse 5, and this is for the kids today. This is where we get our picture of what we're colouring in. And if you want to colour one of these in while I'm talking and put it up on our wall at the end of the service, there's blue tack here, that'd be great for you to do that if you want. All right. Those that do manage to survive, they will truly acknowledge God as a beautiful wreath around their neck. They will see the perfect justice of God and be a source of strength to those who are going to fight onwards for God's purpose. Really helpful picture for us that would put on Christ, Romans 13, uh, verse 14. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Okay. As we keep working our way through this text, we go deeper into the problems of the northern tribes in that they're not just putting their trust in military solutions, but when they do seek after God, they're doing it in ways that don't actually take into consideration that the relationship that they have with God should be respected. Verses 7 and 8, going so far as to say that the words of these people are actually bankrupt of any spiritual depth, that they are blind to their lostness. Have you ever been drunk to the point that you couldn't walk straight? I had a sordid past, I'll admit to that. That you couldn't walk straight. But in that moment, did it stop you trying to walk? Did it stop you trying to walk at the time or did you think you were fine? No, no, I'm fine. I'm going to get up, I'm going to walk. But as you walk, hang on a second, I'm going this way, I'm going that way. But no, in myself, I think I'm fine. And this is the, this is the point. That they think they're fine and they keep walking. They keep trying to go. All the tables are covered with vomit. There is not a spot without filth. These are people that think they're on track, that, they can be, that, they, that they're fine. But can they be reasoned with in this state? No. Do they know how lost they are? No. You know, as a church, I think we've all learned our lesson from drunkenness, hopefully, and we, we can move past that. You know, but they're burying their heads. They're self-medicating. They're avoiding the problem of the lostness. And so how are the spiritual leaders treating this problem? When we get to verse 9, we see that the message from the priest to the people is one that looks down upon the common man. The Hebrew here, if you read it in the Hebrew, it could be taken to read as if the person receiving the message is just a little baby, just a little child. And so the tone in the text reads of do, do, do. Thank you, uh, Geraldine, as you read this earlier and stumbling over that, do, do, do. Yeah, it's because it is. It's like, hey, do, 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 you little kid, here you go, take this because you don't know what you're doing, you're drunk and here you go. That's like, can you imagine the response of the person hearing that message in that day? I'm not an idiot, what are you doing? Why are you talking to me like that? You know, or worse, don't patronise me, I'm no baby, you're looking for a fight. Have you ever met somebody who responds to spiritual advice like that? You know, is the problem with the offerer or is the problem with the receiver? 
Isaiah continues in speaking God's word to these people. He says, you've missed the point. God has set you up with an easy relational way of doing life. A literal Eden calling out God's peace. Verse 12, this is our resting place. Let the weary rest. But they didn't listen. Our own desires find a way out of our, you know, find a way out of our mess. Hang on. Let me read what I've written here. Our own desire to find a way out of our own mess has taken us to this point in verse 13, where God says, sure, you want to be treated like kids? Here, have your rules. Do, 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 do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here, a little there. And so that as they go, they're going to fall back. The injured will be snared and captured. They will be injured, snared and captured. And so as we read through this, you know, that's the end of chapter one. As we read through this, you can hear the popcorn in the background, you know, and the southern kingdoms looking there and they're going, ha ha, yeah, northern kingdom, you are well in trouble. You know, eating a little bit more popcorn. Here, have another cherry tomato. Yeah, here you go, Marie. <laughs> go on, <Ed. laughs> Yeah, the, uh, the popcorn's in the background. Yeah, those, uh, those northern kingdoms, they don't have any idea. You tell them, Isaiah. They suck at following God's rules. Isaiah here wheels around and he takes aim at the southern kingdom. The start of our second section in this chapter, he writes verse 13 onwards. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, the people who rule in Jerusalem, southern kingdom. You boast, we have entered into a covenant with death. We know where we're going. With the realm of the dead, we've made an agreement. With an over- when the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it can't touch us. We have made a lie in our, refu- in our refuge and a falsehood for we... We have made a lie our refuge and a falsehood our hiding place. The people of the southern kingdom here are in trouble. They don't realise they've done the exact same thing as those in the north, turning what was meant to be an easy relationship with God into something that also reeks of trying to get unlost just by keeping on walking until they hit a good, good landmark. Not a bad idea, but these guys live in a desert. And there's a river, and if I'm on the river, and the river goes this way, and I'm walking to try and find a landmark that I know, I have 180 degrees worth of landmark that I'm going to miss, and I'm not going to get my bearings. What's more, the pride of works-based salvation, which is basically I can get myself to heaven, I don't need a saviour method of thinking, it absolutely reeks from them as Isaiah continues to rip into them, verse 18 and 19. Your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it, come, as often as it comes, it will carry you away. Morning after morning, by day, by night, it will sweep through. The understanding of this message will bring sheer terror. If you let this sink in for a moment, these are the ones that thought they were safe. These are the ones who weren't drunkards. They didn't have vices. They lived life by the rules. They were in just as much trouble, perhaps more. And with this realisation, Isaiah gives us this beautiful poetic picture. He says, the bed is too short to stretch out on, the blanket too narrow to wrap around you. I went camping with my girls a couple of weeks back and I experienced this thinking that I was covered for a good night's sleep 
Um, my girls have unfortunately gotten a little big, bigger than the last time that I took them camping, and there was no room on my swag. <laughs> they took my swag, and what did I get left? I got hard ground. I got hard ground, that's what I got. So I half slept on the ground as the girls were now getting uh, too big for the swag. Okay. It was a cold night. Effectively, the bed is too short to stretch out on, the blanket too narrow. Okay, what is your solution to death? What is your solution to death? When you're going through the fire of life, what do you hold on to you? Do, you? do you have a coverall? What is it that you're holding up against your mortality? Maybe it's just a little bit flimsy. Are you comfortable in the bed of your life, of your mortal life? How good is your blanket? So what's the solution to the problem here? Who's going to think outside the box? Not the northern kingdom, who's ignoring the problem, they're lost. Not the southern kingdom, who had a plan, didn't really think it through, walking in the wrong direction, also lost. Isaiah gives the people a hint that God is going to do something completely unique, something completely alien, verse 21b, to do his work, to do his strange work, to perform his task, his alien task, a metanoia, a changing of the mind about how religion is going to work moving forward. He continues lashing the southern kingdom in verse 22. It's a great warning for us today. Stop thinking that you're better than them or your own chains will become heavier. And I think this is the root of Jesus' statement in Matthew 7 where he says, don't judge, uh, verse 1. Verse 22 in Isaiah 28 says this, Now stop your mocking or your chains will become heavier. Stop your mocking or your chains will become heavier. It's easy, right? Like, why would people, be, why would people get lost? People, it's, we know the way to get from here to our house. Getting lost, is, no, they shouldn't get lost. Getting lost is, well, that's silly. Nobody gets Stop your mocking, your chains will become heavier. Story time. As I was researching this week and I found, I found myself on Google Maps and looking here and there, I was looking at the, the role of the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empires and I decided to zoom in and I zoomed down to Street View to downtown Bethlehem, right? Technology is crazy these days, right? Um, and if we've got the photo of the, the map of... Um, Israel, and I've got a little picture there of a street view of Bethlehem. Yeah, one more, I think. Yeah, there it is. Can you imagine getting put into a place like this? There is no English on any of these signs except that one up there that says coffee shop. <laughs> if you got put, you got transplanted right at this moment, no preparation, into downtown Bethlehem, how would you go? Would you be okay? Would you freak out? Would you be a little lost? I realise once again for myself just how lost I would be if I were in that space, if I were dropped there without support. It's very easy for me in Australia to be proud. I know what's what, I know where's where, and I know where the coffee's good in Margaret River. Right? I'm set. But what about a different country? In Japan, you get a feeling, oh, it's okay, I can do this, I just need to trust my GPS, the map's supplied by free Wi-Fi. You know, I'm still able to overcome with some help. But when you get to downtown Bethlehem, I'm not sure they got the Wi-Fi that Japan has. 
You know, I'd be completely lost in that space. I'd be completely reliant on another's for direction. Um, when we did the kids thing just before and we had Gordo climb under the table, loved, I loved how everyone stayed on their hands and knees. It was a beautiful, humble picture of listening to another person's voice to guide. So good. But, you know, I'd be completely reliant on somebody else for directions. In that space, it doesn't actually mean that I'm an idiot. Because you're not an idiot, Gordo. You are absolutely not. You are a gen- you're, you're a smart guy, right? And yet, if we've got the cover on, if we can't see where we're going, it doesn't actually mean that we're worth any less. It just means that we're a little lost. And isn't it the same with faith? I'm sure Jesus saw it in here straight away. Let's jump back to verse 16 where it says, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line, so on and so forth. You know, the stone mentioned here in verse 16 in Hebrews Hebrews is literally a stone to test things against. A stone to test things against. And what does he use that testing stone to do? He uses it to set the line of what is just and he uses it to set what is righteous. And I love the building language here, plumb, plumb line. Does any, has anybody heard of a plumb line before? No? I've got a plumb line right here. I've got a plumb line. <coughs> Some I whipped up earlier. And then if I had to build something, I could set my plumb line and I'd be able to get out. Do you want to play? Can you build something straight up to this line? <laughs> Maybe we'll start with something that's not going to fall off the edge of the table. Do you reckon that's going to go straight, Sue? <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, no. Thanks, Sue. Have a seat. <clears throat> so good, right? <clears throat> okay. So I love the language here. Uh, righteousness is the plumb line. Justice is the measuring line. Uh, justice, how far you can go. Plum, making sure that your relationship north-south, up, down to God is good. All the rest of that, any of those things. Something you can build upon that won't go wonky. Something that you can measure, something you can know the bounds of. The stone mentioned, sorry, something you know the bounds of. So what about Jesus? Okay, what did he think of these passages? How did he live his life as he shared the message about the kingdom of God? and took into consideration all of these things. Lord, we just pray for the people that that ambulance is going to go see, and we ask for your blessing on them at this moment. Let's keep going. Okay, so what about Jesus? What does he think of these passages? How did he live his life as he shared the message about the kingdom of God and took into consideration all of these things, the testing stone, the righteous, the plumb, uh, the justice, the measuring line? You know, let's, let's get the question for those that are uh, long discipled in their faith. I want you to finish this, uh, this verse for you. Matthew 9.36, it says this, uh, When Jesus saw the crowd, uh, he had a lot of wine and told them what they were doing was wrong and he gave them books to read so they worked out the right direction. Is that what it was? No, okay. <clears throat> Matthew 9.36, uh, Or when he saw the crowds, he uh, had a lot to say about how they weren't as good as him And it's a shame they're all going to experience God's wrath, but it's out of his hands. No, okay. Matthew 9.36, when he saw the crowds, he 
had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When I'm lost, I'm not an idiot. I'm a smart guy. I've done lots of research to get to where I am. I don't need the response of the northern kingdom, nor do I need the response of the southern kingdoms to my situation. I need a compassionate response, a gentle guidance to return me to straight paths. Once I'm on a path towards kingdom values, acknowledging God in my life, acknowledging the whole of God's redemptive plan for humanity, my faith as small as a mustard seed, maybe a cherry tomato seed. Anybody want another cherry tomato? Here you go, over there, buddy. All right. My faith as small as a mustard seed will be my blanket. As I walk forward, that's all I need. Paul commands us in Romans 14, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat something, but another whose faith is a little weaker eats only vegetables. As we get closer to this end of chapter 28, the matter of how we judge a person's faith looms large. Okay, I'm so grateful for the, for the provision of this testing stone, the one that helps give us the boundary, a paddock, a map, a rough lay of the land, where we constantly bring things back into alignment with God's Eden picture making heaven on earth. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Fitting then that the chapter ends with a farming parable. How do we share about God's redemptive plan? How does God's redemptive plan work out in our own lives? Verse 24, when a farmer plows, does he keep plowing? How long do we have to keep beating ourselves up over a poor decision in our past? There are some people in here today that need to hear, let it go, that path that you've walked has been broken and it's been dealt with and you don't need to keep ploughing over that same path with your plough. Let it go. What if we look at 24 from another direction? Um, How do we share the first and hardest part of sharing our faith with our friends or with our community? You know, how do we share about God without getting in the way of what God is already doing? Let me tell you another story. This this week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was sharing with a mate uh, who I know through the schools and the option of me coming to work here at the church. So I was talking to him about me coming and working here. And I was expecting to have to rehash with him the benefits of being part of a faith community uh, and that the faith and its expression uh, was really important to me. Instead, after I finished this first couple sentences, um, he said, hey, Damo, this sounds like an awesome fit, exactly what you should be doing. I could see how you being part of running a church would immediately be a positive thing and a great impact on our local community here. You know, if there's anybody that's going to be in doing this job, wow, I'm glad that it's you. And, you know, let's, let's see how we can keep building this community. Right? I was thinking I was going to have to replow the ground to be able to talk to this guy about Jesus and the church. And you know, this is a non-Sunday, non-come-to-church uh, person, right? Someone who I care for deeply. I keep forgetting that I actually ploughed when I first met him here in the community five years ago when I moved, moved to town. I ploughed and I set seed with this guy when I first moved to town. We discussed matters of faith back then. He knows my story. He sees my actions. Why would I have to re-plough that part of the field? It's time for something different. And it's good for me to actually read this Isaiah 28 and remember that actually go, hang on a second. 
you know, maybe it's time to do something different. Maybe it's time to bless and connect. Maybe it's time to invite him to a church event. Maybe water the soil, see what grows in that area. And you know what? If nothing grows, you know, I've done my part. Bless him anyway. Bless him anyway. My friend, though, is ready for a deeper spiritual conversation. You know, for those that believe different things in our congregation, the testing stone is the same. To each person's own beliefs, Roman 14s will be judged. We get a picture in verse 25 that each of the different grains are grown in different ways and in differing times, in different seasons, beaten in different ways, uh, made into bread in different ways, uh, pulled for oil in different ways. God has brought each of you to this place for this season and grown you in different ways to get you here. Verse 26, God has given each of you the conviction to change your mind on different things along the way. And God has allowed you a chance to disciple yourselves. And though we go and we go through our lives, uh, what we believe, we're going to get judged on that to God and to God alone. So as I'm talking with those not yet Christians, I come across in my week. Will I keep ploughing or will I actually allow seed to be planted? In season, gentle hand. Will I fertilise in season through blessing? Will I allow God to teach and convict as necessary, both them and me? We've come to the end. There's such good wisdom here at the end of this chapter, verse 29. And it all comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful and whose wisdom is magnificent. So good. And so here we come back to the start. Jesus reading and memorising Isaiah as a young man thinks about what God's kingdom is like. He sees and knows intimately the stories written here because he's part of his culture and his history that all of the people of that day would have had to learn. Understanding through these two paths, these two kingdoms, the need for a testing stone, when he starts his ministry, he humbles himself to God's needs and trusting in God in his own faith, stands up for righteousness and justice. The only difference is his rules that he chose to live by, he didn't break, which led him to the cross for you and for me and for everyone. He comes out the other side ready to share this new Eden with us. How will we sow into the garden this week? Will we be like the northern kingdom, taking a stumbling path, or the southern kingdom, walking blindly any direction? Will we lean on our own map and our own personal resources to get unlost? Or will we listen to the one who is the standard of righteousness and justice and offers us grace if only we accept it? Let's pray together. Lord God, in this space, you know each one of our hearts. Lord, you know each one of the people that we're connected to in this town. Lord, you know uh, the joy that we have in sharing with them about you. Lord, you know our own uh, struggles and the areas where we fail. Uh, We might stumble and and self-medicate in some areas because we don't trust you fully or we can't or we don't know how. And Lord, where we lack that faith, Lord, I pray that you would give it to us. Start us off with small as a mustard seed, small as a tiny cherry tomato. Lord, I pray that you would not um, not lift your hand in anger to us or allow others to come to harm us. 
uh, as you allowed it to happen to the northern kingdoms. Thank you for their story that you have given to us. Lord, that we might learn from it. Lord, we thank you that you are part of our life and Lord, you have provided a way for us to get unlost. Lord, for those that are in this room that, that haven't taken that step of faith and said, you know what, I'm going to believe just a little, a little more in Jesus today. Lord, I pray for those people and I pray that they would be able to just uh, acknowledge you in this space. Lord, that we might welcome them in community. And Lord, we thank you for everything that you're doing in amongst this town and the broader space of Margaret River and its surrounds. Lord, I pray that you would bless this place, bless us, and help us bless Margaret River through what we do here at the church and beyond, through our everyday going coming. Lord, I pray that you would help us to draw the kingdom near to our friends in our community. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.